Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. I may not be able to quote it uh, exactly right. I should have refreshed a little bit. Um, but the movie Incredibles, I don't know how many of you have seen it, but at the end of The Incredibles, there comes this moment where this little kid had been there, like a neighbor kid, he like rides his little big wheel around, and, and he had seen like when Mr. Incredible got really mad at one point, like just like went off and like destroyed stuff, and it kind of comes to the end of the movie, and like he, he rides back up, like I don't know if he come actually in the driveway, but if you've seen the movie, the, the little boy, the neighbor kid's there, and and they kind of finally ask, like, what are, you, what are you looking for? Like, what are you waiting on? And he's like, I don't know, something amazing to happen, I guess. And, like, that's kind of like a, a setting of where the people of Israel get to here, the people of the southern kingdom of Judah. They come to a place in which they can no longer rescue themselves. They're at a place in which everything they've tried, and guess what, they've made a lot of wrong decisions. They've come to a place, finally, they realize that God is going to have to do something. God has got to rescue these folks and deliver them. And really this is kind of this this theme throughout Scripture that unless the Lord does, right, unless the Lord builds the house, the labor is what? Labor in vain. Like there comes this point in which God must do something. And maybe you're there, right? I mean, like if God doesn't do something, like then that, that prayer is never going to get answered, right, of what you're seeking after, what you're hoping for in regards to a family or a relationship or a job or Whatever it may be, that you maybe are in a place in which you're just waiting for God to do something, right? And in Judges chapter 3, the people of Israel have begun to worship like all these other gods, and they've not been faithful to their God. And, and it says that God gets upset about it. And he, what he does is that God raises up another kingdom, the kingdom of Mesopotamia, and their king comes and he begins to rule over them. And for eight years, the people of Israel are in bondage to this other king. And it finally, it says, the text records that the people of Israel cry out to God. And it says that God hears and answers their prayer. And he raises up a man by the name of Othniel. And then it says this simple statement in Judges chapter 3, verse 10. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And he goes out to war. And God gives the people of Mesopotamia into his hand. And God brings freedom for 40 years when his spirit moves upon this man and begins to lead his people out. In Acts chapter 4, the people, the church is facing major challenges, major persecution. And they come together just for a moment. They have a time of prayer. And it says the place that they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they went out boldly and proclaiming the gospel. In Acts chapter 10, the gospel is going forth, not just from the Jewish to the Jewish people, but now to the Gentiles. And, and Peter shows up in this house of, of, a, of a soldier of the Italian cohort. And as he's sharing the gospel in Acts 10, the Spirit of God falls even on the Gentiles. And when the Spirit of God moves, people that everyone believed were unsavable are saved. In Acts 13, the church is worshiping, gathered together, maybe like us this morning, and the Spirit of God moves and says, Set apart from me Saul and Barnabas to the work to which I have called them. And a great mission work happens. Why? Because in all of these moments, the church or the people of God are waiting upon the Spirit of God to do something they could never do by themselves. And it's likely that many of you find yourself in some type of similar setting. That unless God moves, you don't understand how this mountain will ever, you'll ever climb that mountain. 
Unless God moves, you don't ever see that it's possible that person can be saved. Unless the Spirit of God moves, you don't believe there's any way you can move forward with fostering or adoption. Unless God's Spirit moves today, you just be honest and say, I'm not sure that I could ever share the gospel with someone in my family this Thanksgiving. I just don't have the courage for that. But man, if God's Spirit moves. Like, I don't know if we could ever be someone, I don't know if I could ever be someone that could go to the nations. But if God's Spirit moves. And the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, are going to come to that moment where you're going to hear in verse 15 this beautiful statement, until the Spirit. And I want to capture your hearts today. I want to give you hope. And I want to encourage you and compel you today to hope more in God. Trust in Him. If you remember in Isaiah 31, the the Assyrians were coming. And we're going to hear more about them in chapter 32 today. But here's the reality. He speaks of the king of Assyria as a rock, verse 9. He says, this rock shall pass away in terror. And he says, literally, they're going to grow great panic. But he starts out, verse 1 of Isaiah 32, with this statement. Behold, behold, there is going to come a king. There's another king coming, right? There's a temporary king, this king of Assyria. But there's coming an eternal king. There's coming a king that has earthly power, but there's going to come a king that has heavenly power. There's going to there's a king who, who does what he sees right in his own eyes, but there's going to come a king of righteousness. We are looking forward to the Messiah, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The prophet Isaiah sometime here in the period of 700 B.C. writes to give the people hope that there is going to come this king who will reign in righteousness and he will begin to right the wrongs. He will begin to change governmental policy for the nations. This God is so great. His rule will be never ending. And it says, look further with me though. Look what the kind of setting is that's happening around right now to give these people hope. It says the fool will be no more called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable, right? They're honoring things that God doesn't honor and they're, they're giving props and, and the people that are prospering are those that don't look to God in his way. And oftentimes that can be confusing. It says the fool speaks folly and his heart is busy with iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord. Look what it says here, though. Look about these folks here again that God defines as foolish. They leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied. They deprive the thirsty of drink. And then he gives another group of people. As for the scoundrel, verse 7, Isaiah 32. His devices are evil. He plans wicked schemes. Look what it says. To ruin the poor with lying words, even when the plea of the needy. So we have the hungry. We have the thirsty. We have the poor. We have the needy. And they are being overlooked. And God says that those that do that are foolish and they are scoundrels. But there's going to come a king that's going to change everything. There's going to come a king who will step in. But before that happens, listen to this warning. Verse 10 of Isaiah 32. In little more than a year, you will shudder, you complacent women. Now he speaks to the women of the day and time too. For the grape harvest fails, the fruit harvest will not come. So he says little, little, literally there, in a little more than a year. Somewhere, somewhere around the period of 701 B.C., the Assyrians are coming toward Judah. Now, the people of Judah are ultimately going to look to the Lord. He's going to deliver them until ultimately the Babylonians later come in. But nonetheless, he's saying, listen, so Isaiah sometime in the period of 700 B.C. is writing these words, telling us what's about to come. And look what happens here. Just a couple things that are going to take place in the midst of this judgment. Right. You're going to see you already read there about the fact that it says that the harvest is going to fail. There's going to be judgment on the land. Look further with me. For the soil, he says, of my people growing up in thorns and briars is a judgment upon the land. 
Look further though, the land is not only judged, which is ironic, the setting here. Watch, listen to this. Yes, for all the joyous houses in the exultant city, the people are partying. The people are partying. They don't even see God's judgment coming. But he says, listen, there's a judgment on the land. But this city that's now partying, look what he says here. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted. Now there's a judgment on the city. And further, look with me further. What's going to happen? The third judgment is coming. Again, not only in the land, not only in the city, but also on the people. Listen to how he words it, though. The hill and the watchtower tower will become dens forever. A joy of wild donkeys. A pasture of flocks. He's saying that the people of, are going to be so judged and literally people are going to die in mass numbers that donkeys are going to roam free. So there's a judgment upon the land, there's a judgment upon the city, and a judgment upon the people. And all of this seems like, again, a moment in which there is no hope at all. And maybe you're there. Maybe you feel like your crops, your lands have been judged. Maybe you feel like the city or the nation in which you live, there just seems to be no hope. Maybe you would just look at your life or your family and just say, it appears we're ruined. There's no hope for us. There's no hope of being resurrected. There's no hope of this changing. Listen to what he says. I love it. Verse 15. Until. Until this moment. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. And the moment that God steps in, your family changes. The moment that God steps in, the church is transformed. The moment that God steps in, these people who have no hope now are going to have hope. Everything is going to be transformed. Now he writes about this this coming transformation. And I, I think it's twofold. I think one, he's looking forward to a time when... Israel itself, right? National Israel there is going to be restored, the land. But I think there has to be something greater. Something greater that there's going to come what we might define or understand according to the book of Revelation is there's going to come a new earth. A new earth in which God's righteousness reigns, but a place in which the land physically is restored. The curse that came upon us in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned is going to be removed. So listen to what it says. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high... And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. So the wilderness is now transformed. The fruitful field is deemed a forest. Now look what he says here further to him, verse 20. Happy are you who sow beside all waters. Now beside, sowing beside waters oftentimes isn't wise, right? You're dealing with erosion, you're dealing with floods. And he says, listen, I want you to know the natural disasters and the things that you face in this life will not be there in the new earth. Who let the feet of the ox and the donkey range free. No longer having to keep your cattle contained. No longer having to worry about is there going to be enough. Or your, your animals on my land. Or you're, you've crossed that boundary marker that you shouldn't have. That is no longer going to be a part of this new earth. There's going to be freedom. There's going to be peace amongst all. This king of righteousness is bringing a true restoration. But now is there a new earth. I want you to see here again what's, I think, maybe even much more significant. Is there's going to come a new people. Listen to what he said. Remember back that some of the things you've heard that they are worshiping other gods. They've been relying upon Egypt, right? I mean, they're hoping in all these other things other than God. They're celebrating while God's saying you should be repenting, right? I mean, they're, they're acknowledging that the fool and the scoundrel, right? Those are the ones that are succeeding. They're overlooking the poor. They're forgetting about the needy. They're not taking care about the hungry or the thirsty, But when the Spirit of God comes, the Spirit of God is the one thing that will transform anyone here. 
The Spirit of God is the only thing that will transform this church. The Spirit of God is the only thing that will transform our hearts. It is the only hope for your marriage. It's the only hope for this community. It's the only hope for the nations is that God's Spirit comes. He says, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. This language is used a few different times throughout the New Testament or Old Testament, but I want to draw your attention to one specifically. It's in Joel chapter 2. Again, you hear here in verse 15 of Isaiah 32, we hear about the Spirit being poured out upon high. Listen to what Joel says in Joel chapter 2. Again, Joel writes somewhere about 550-ish B.C., roughly. We're not absolutely certain. Isaiah somewhere 700 B.C., so hearing this language, right, this is many years. Why? Because keep that contextually in your mind. You're going to hear something changing in a moment. And it shall come to pass, verse 28 of Joel 2, afterward that I will, look what he says here, pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Look what happens in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, right, we have the day of Pentecost and the church is together and there comes a great moment in which the Spirit of God descends like tongues of what? Do you remember? Like tongues of fire descended, right? And the Spirit of God begins to fill the people there with God's Holy Spirit. And Peter stands up to preach and notice what he says. This is interesting. But he says, verse 16 of Acts chapter 2, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. He's saying, listen, what Joel prophesied back here in about 550 to 600 B.C., that's now coming to pass. What the prophet Isaiah was looking forward to in Isaiah 32 and 15, the Spirit being poured from on high. Listen to what Peter says. This is that moment. This is what the prophet said. And so look what that says to us. This is significant. Verse 17. And in the last days. Right? Have you ever wondered, are we in the last days? The Bible records the last days begun when Jesus Christ came to um, to live upon the earth. And Peter further affirms that literally saying, and this is actually the last days. This is we're now living. The last days, guys, began some almost close to 2000 years ago. You're living in the last days. If you've ever had to wonder, am I living in the last days? You're living in it. According to the words of Peter. He says, this is exactly what Joel has prophesied. This is what Isaiah said. The Spirit of God is going to come. And so we've got to ask some major questions from that. Right? Maybe the first question is this. Well, who's actually pouring out the Spirit, right? How does this happen? Listen to what Peter says later in this same sermon, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 31. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did His flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and that we are all witnesses being therefore now he's exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the father. Listen to this. The promise of the Holy Spirit. He speaking of Jesus, right? He he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus Christ had to come live a sinless life, be crucified on the cross, taking the sins of humanity, be buried in the third day, raised again, and then ascend back to God's right hand in heaven. And Peter says, now he's received the promise of the Spirit from the Father. And Peter says, Jesus now has the authority to pour out the Spirit upon the people. And the question is, why? Why did this moment back in Isaiah Chapter 32, verse 15, until the Spirit is poured upon high. 
in 700 BC. Why did when Joel prophesied in Joel chapter 2 verse 28 that the Spirit of the Lord was going to be poured out from on high back in like 550 BC? Why did it have to wait 700 plus years, right? Why? Listen to what Galatians chapter 3 tells us. Why it had to be Jesus. Begin in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Everyone that's trying to be good enough. Now, obviously, contextually, he's speaking of the Jewish people, but anyone that's tried to be good enough, to try to earn their goodness before God, he wants you to know you are under a curse. Why? Look, he says, well, clue you in. Four, right? Here's the reason why. Four, it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So we know that everyone's under a curse. Secondly, look at what we see here in verse 11. No one can earn the Spirit by their own goodness. Look what he says. Now it is evident that no one, no one, no one is justified, right, declared innocent, pure, faultless before God by the law. I was having a gospel conversation this past week and I shared that truth with someone that they could be justified before God, declared innocent, pure as God is pure, holy as God is holy, perfect as God is perfect. And this person had been sharing with me, I've been sharing my testimony. They've been sharing their testimony about a lot of junk in our trunk, a lot of skeletons. And I said, bro, how does it feel for you to know that you could be declared innocent before a holy God? He's like, man, that feels really good. And Paul, as he writes to the church at Galatia, he says that no one here, not anyone here, no one that you've ever met on the face of the earth can be declared innocent for by a holy God by being good enough. So that predicates the factor, means that verse 13 is very significant. Look what he says. This curse that we were under, look what it says. Christ did what? He redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do that? By, look what he says there, by, this is how it happened. By doing what? Becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that's hung on that tree. He became your curse. He lived a perfect life, yet died on the cross as if He lived yours. Why? Here's the reason. Look what He says. Verse 14. Two so that. These are significant. So that. So that. Listen to this. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. What is the blessing of Abraham? That you could be declared righteous by faith. That you could be declared innocent before a holy God, not by being good enough, but by believing that he was good enough. Then look what this happened. This is significant, right? This is kind of helping you. Again, you hear Isaiah 32, 15, but you've got to take it all together, right? Old Testament, New Testament. There's a, there's a, a, a really renowned pastor right now presently, right, um, there in Atlanta who I, I, I used to follow pretty, pretty, pretty closely. And his statement has been this, we need to unhinge ourselves from the Old Testament. I would tell you that's the exact opposite of what Peter did on the day of Pentecost and what Paul's doing now in Galatians 3. So what I want to remind you is this, just because someone is pastor, pope, doctor, reverend, whatever, if what they say doesn't match up, this includes me, to this very word, you must accept only what the word of God says. Are you with me? Don't blindly follow someone because of however much you may like them. I love and care for so many of you, but don't blindly follow me. Is that what God's word says? I realize there may be moments when we, we disagree on interpretation, but man, 
We cannot unhinge from the Old Testament. Look what he says here again. I want to make this point. Verse 14. So that. Right? Why did Christ come and die on the cross? You're asking that question. Why? 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 In, the, in light of Isaiah 32, 15. Until the Spirit is poured out on high and everything changes. Why did Jesus have to come? So that. Look what he says here. We might receive the promised Spirit. How? Through faith. We could never, ever earn this moment of Isaiah 32, 15. So God in His love sent His only Son to die in your place that you could stand before God as if you lived His sinless life. And because of His sinless life credited to you, you are now seen as innocent before a holy God. You've never had a wicked thought. You've never done a wicked deed. You have been declared forgiven because of Jesus. And because of that, God now, even though we're not position, we're positionally that, but we're not actually practically that, God can pour out His Spirit on you. He can place His Spirit within you. Isaiah 32 and 15 awaited the coming of Christ. You say, well, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? Listen to Peter on the day of Pentecost. Verse 37 of Acts 2 says the people are cut to the heart. They cry out, what must we do to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for. He says two things. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. And then he says another beautiful moment there. For the promise is not only for you, but for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God would call. This is not just for 30-something A.D. This is for 2,000-something A.D. The receiving of the Spirit is those who are willing to repent and acknowledge that their life is not good enough and will never be good enough. And they are believing on the name of Jesus Christ, God's only Son. And Peter says, you will be forgiven if you do that. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, it is time now. Listen, they were baptized, right? That's what's going to happen there. Many other words, right? He tells them. And and all those that accepted the message, I think verse 41 says, that they were baptized that day. Some of you, it is time publicly to make your faith known. Some of you publicly, it's time to come and unite with this church and say, I am going to be here as a member. I'm in submission to the Scriptures. I'm going to submit my life under the leadership of this church. I'm publicly declaring Christ as my Lord and Savior. And this is where God is calling me and my family. And so again, he says, you know, what's the result? Well, you're saving yourself from this corrupt or crooked generation. And maybe we just might ask for a moment again. We hear Isaiah 32 and 15 until the Spirit is poured out from on high. And we're going to hear about the transformation. The righteousness is going to come. And there's going to be quietness and peace and trust. And all these things are going to happen. But let's ask maybe just for a moment contextually. What does it look like for the church to be saved from this corrupt or crooked generation? What does it look like if the church is filled with God's Holy Spirit? How might we recognize a people like that? We don't have to look far. Just further here in Acts chapter 2. Look what it says. Four things specifically happened. Verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And they devoted. They were committed. This was their life. Their abiding. This was their desire. And they devoted themselves. Look what he says. Four things. Number one. To the apostles teaching. And partly you're doing that this morning. By you gathering here. Sunday after Sunday specifically. Right as we gather as an entire church body. To hear God's word, you are committing yourself or devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching. But be warned, it's easy to slip away from that. 
There's other times that we gather as a church. I want to encourage you. Those are times for you to go and grow in your discipleship. Sunday school is one. It's a great opportunity for you to begin studying God's word in a smaller group to build more relationships. Sunday night, Wednesday night, there's other opportunities for you to spend time devoting yourself to the apostles teaching. Secondly, look what he says here. Not only that, but he notes they were devoted to the fellowship. This fellowship indicates that in verse 45, listen to what it says. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I don't know if you recognize it or not, but every Sunday morning for a lot of years now, we take $1 for every person that's present. And we use that money to intentionally help pay the bills of people here in Greene County. Sometimes it's helping church members out. We call it a dollar ministry. We encourage you. Again, maybe you'd say, Blake, I'm not in a financial position. I can give very much. Maybe you could start with $1. Of giving to help someone else that is in need. Of caring for those needs. Listen, as a fellowship, they're caring for physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. Right? I mean, maybe you just begin thinking this year, how, who could my family help this Thanksgiving or Christmas? Maybe it's a person in the pew next to you. Maybe it's someone in this community. I don't know. I'm just challenging you. Some of you, again, as you think about what does it look like? Again, we're taking talking about those that have been filled with the Spirit of God. There was a fellowship. There was a desire to love and care for others. Some of you need to ask a question of, why are there so many extra rooms in my house that are empty? Why do we have so much food? Why do I have so much love in my heart for orphans and those without a home? I want to remind you, that 443,000 children here in the United States are currently in the foster care system. Of that 443,000, about 9,000 of them live right here in Kentucky. Further with me. Of that 443,000 in America, about 70,000 right now currently are children in which the parental or whatever um, family situation they had, they have terminated rights. There is 70,000 children right now in the United States of America that are available to be adopted. They have terminated the rights. 70,000. 1,500 of those live right here in your home state. 1,500 children are awaiting a forever family. Nobody's coming back for them. This Spirit of God must move us, beloved. It must move us. Some of you say, you know, Blake, I'm not sure I'm there for adoption or fostering yet. Maybe I just might encourage you to take a step that Emily and I took early on, prior to even marriage. Child sponsorship. I know it's, the pictures are not real good, but there's Abedin from, he's from Vietnam, and Daniel that we've had for a long time, Ethiopia. Here's Burtis from Indonesia, and listen to one of Burtis' letters to us. I'm also very glad to tell you that I passed my final exam in primary school, and I could get a good result. Listen to this statement, it just struck me. I know it's not by my capability or my, by my smartness, but by God's mercy on me. I'm so grateful to have Jesus, my good Lord. He never leaves me alone. If you were to read Daniel's letters from there in Ethiopia, he would tell you, thank you. That you're helping provide soap so he can take a bath. 
You're helping provide money so he can go to school. You're giving food or he can have oil or some things that he necessarily needs. And he is getting spiritual nourishment. So some of you, listen, it's about $30 a month. If they live in an AIDS environment, some of ours do, then it's about $38 a month. Maybe you take that first step. Or maybe some of you, it's maybe it's a grandma here or a grandpa and this year for you, for your family, you're going to let your family know that you guys are taking on somebody. Maybe you'd say, Blake, I'm past the age now in which I could bring a child into my home. That's, that's, I, you know what? I, I'm with you. That needs to happen. But maybe you would just say, you know what? Introduce to your family this year that you are going to pay the sponsorship as the grandparent. But you want the family to know. You want your children to begin thinking, your grandchildren to begin thinking about those who don't have homes. And you're going to spend time as a family maybe writing a letter or a kid's coloring a picture. Again, you're paying the sponsorship. This is just the next step, right? This is fellowship. It is a care for those that don't have it. There is a care for those amongst our own church body. Are you caring for them? That's an evidence of the fruit of the Spirit, of being filled with the Spirit. Further, I know time's moving, so I'm going to... Man, just got to keep rolling. Look what else they're devoted to. They're devoted to the breaking of bread. This would speak of the Lord's Supper. Right? There's a connection to a local church. Some of you need that. You need to be connected to a local church. Whether it's here, maybe it's the church you've come from, maybe you're just trying to figure that out, I want to encourage you, a part of this breaking of bread is the taking of the Lord's Supper with the local church. There is a connection there. But not only that, there's also the fellowship of the breaking bread in their homes. I might ask you, maybe your family might just consider praying about this year. Who's one child maybe... In this community, maybe you could welcome, maybe a family you might invite to come eat Thanksgiving with yours. Here this, this past week, I sat down across the table from one of our kiddos and just began to have a little conversation. Wednesday night, we're, they're eating and just talking for a moment. So tell me what, what Thanksgiving looks like for you. And they began to share a little bit about family and, and I heard that one, one parent was missing and, and I asked and they said, well, it's, it's been a lot of lot, long time since I've seen them. They don't come around. And I just looked into those little those pig brown eyes. And I just said, I want you to know how special you are and how much they're missing out on. I want you to know how much that God loves you. And Miss Holly, you, you ought to be encouraged by this. She said, I know that. I've been working through my Iwana verses. You know what John 3.16 says? I was like, I kind of know, but why don't you tell me, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His what? Only begotten Son that whoever what? Will believe in them. They should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. And I said, you know what that means? God loves you. I can't change the situation with your family. I don't understand why they wouldn't come around. But I want you to know how special you are. Listen, it was just breaking bread across the table. Some of you, Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, where are you? A chance just to sit across the table from a child and love on them. Let them know that what they hear in John 3.16 is true. Why? Because they see you even though they may not be able to see the invisible God. Tonight you would say, Blake, I'm following. I'm tracking with you. Tonight might be a first step. Tonight at 5.30 in the gym, we're going to be feeding all of our children a Thanksgiving dinner. And if their lives may be like any of the rest, a couple I talked to yesterday, several of them said, I said, what's your Thanksgiving look like? And they said, I don't have any family. This is it. Yesterday in that gym... Some folks were eating the only Thanksgiving they will have because for the last however many years I asked them, what do you do? They said, I just eat alone. If we're going to be people filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to have to live this out. 
And then he says, man, they were committed to prayer. There was a commitment to prayer on their behalf. And I want to challenge you again. I know time's here, but man, just to think, how might you pray more with your spouse, with your kids? How might you as a church body, as we think about it, how might we pray more? Maybe your Sunday school class, maybe you and whomever else might show up from 845 to 9, just 15 minutes before class, and you just spend time just covering your class in prayer, covering your classmates and those that show up. You cover other parts of the church in prayer. What if you just began to take that step? Maybe just a step of saying, I want to be a part of the prayer ministry, right? We meet Thursday mornings at 9. Maybe you just would start showing up as your schedule allows Maybe you just some of you need to take a step out as we have time of prayer each morning. Maybe you just need to come forward during that time. Maybe just more intentional prayer. Maybe you find yourself distracted in the pew. Maybe you don't. If your pew looks like mine, I'm telling you, I bet you're distracted at times. This is a part of the people of God being filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest men of God I know and that you know who's struggling a great deal. We were having a conversation about two weeks ago and Here was his response to me. I know of no more effective ministry than prayer and do so little of it. Keep praying because it benefits both parties. And oh, how he's needed the prayers. He's very sick. He needs our prayers. But even a man of God acknowledges, I know of no more effective ministry than prayer and do so little of it. Keep praying. That's what your brother would say to you as he fights his battle. So we turn, right? That, hopefully that gives you some serious context of what you've heard in Isaiah 32 and 15. So let's close with just maybe two more things here from it. Verse 17, again, it says, Then justice, let's look at verse 16, Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field and the effect of righteousness, right? This king of righteousness that's coming. This fact that you're going to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's going to be poured upon your life. Not because you've earned or deserved it, but you've repented and believed upon the Son according to the preaching of the Apostle Peter. And the effect of righteousness, look what it says here, will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. You can have peace with a holy God. You no longer have to fear death. There can be a quietness, a trust that no matter what you're facing or what you're dealing with, this Spirit of God being poured upon you, as Paul says in Romans, that having the Spirit of God is an affirmation, it is a validation that you are truly a child of God. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not in Christ. That's the Apostle Paul's words. Romans 8, 13-16. This effect of righteousness is peace. Do you want peace? Do you desire peace with you and a holy God? You no longer have to fear death. You no longer have to fear the unknown. It is the result of righteousness that is not your own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ that is given to you as the Spirit of God is poured out. So again, we've heard that there's going to be a new earth. There's going to be a new people. But I want to close with just this statement of verse 18. There's going to be a new security. My people, look what he says here, will abide in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings and in a quiet resting places. Peaceful, secure, quiet. My guess is most of us, when we think about vacation, that's the kind of place we want to go. Right? When I think about vacation, I want to think peaceful, secure, quiet. And then I heard a guy recently, he was preaching on vacations. He talked about, man, when you go on vacation with the young kids, it's not a vacation. Right? Yeah, that's true. But listen, I think most of us, listen, that's what he's saying. This is your eternal Abiding. This is where you're going to be forever. You're going to be in a place of peace and security and quietness. There's peace there. 
No more arguments, no more fights, no more awkward combos, no more family issues. There's security. Never will you have to wonder in the night. Any of you ever get afraid during the night, wonder what that noise was? Any of you, are you cover people? I was always a cover people. Now I've got him. I'm like, you go find out. But like, that, that's for real, right? We hear something. I'm like, babe, you got to go. I'll be right behind you. Right up right behind you, girl. Right? I know I'm a coward, right? I acknowledge that. I'm afraid. That's, for, that's just a fact, man. It is. But any, I'm, listen, some of you, this, again, this is, I'm trying to make application all, right? Some of you are kiddos here and you hear noises in the night and you do probably what I used to do. You pull the covers up because you think if you're under the covers, then nobody will what? See you. Some of you else are cover people. I want you to know that there's going to come a place where you can lay down and you never have to fear again. Never have to fear again. It is a place of security and quietness. No longer wondering, is that tyrant going to come in the house drunk again and beat on me or my family? Is that person going to come back in my room tonight and abuse me? Some of you know that full well. You've lived that life. I want you to know that is not going to be forever. And so, beloved, maybe I might just finish with this last appeal. If that is indeed the case for the people of God and we can't wait for that day, might we hear... Might we hear in this moment some children that would love a place of quietness? Might we hear in this moment a place of children throughout this nation and throughout the world who would love to dwell in a place of security where no one's going to hurt them, no one's going to abuse them? A place where they'll know that they're going to have meals tomorrow and a place to love. And so some of you need to hear this morning the cries of children saying, Mommy! Daddy, when will you come for me? Where are you? I'm ready. I'm afraid. Night by night. I don't know if I'll have food tomorrow. I'm being abused. Whatever it may be. Maybe just have a lack of love. People of God, if the Spirit of God indwells us and we can't wait for that eternity, how much more do we not also hear in our ears the cries of children? Calling out to you. I get it. Your family's full or what you thought. Your numbers have come and what you thought would look like for a family. I, I, I don't know. But maybe this morning you might hear in the midst of this hope of the Spirit of God being poured out. That God's Spirit is moving you to begin considering foster or adoption or step in that direction. Would you at least be willing to pray? least this morning saying, God, I know, I know I thought our family was finished. God, I know that I never could consider. Here I am, God, I'm willing to pray about it. The good news is, as we've been sharing with our boys here recently, that adoption has come for you and I. And it came in the sending of God's only son. That by his grace and forgiveness, you could be a part of God's forever family. Because of Jesus Christ, would you put your faith and trust in Him today? Would you pray with me? Father, I am so reminded in this moment until the Spirit is poured out from on high. The reality of all the things I've preached, God. The power is in your Spirit. And so, Father, I'm asking now in this moment that the things that have been said that were truly in a light with your word and according to your will, that you would birth it in the hearts, even now, Lord, I pray even in the hearts of children here who heard this this morning, seven-year-olds, 12-year-olds, who begin to think, when I have a family, 
Adoption and fostering is definitely going to be something we look into. Father, for others that are here in that season and they're considering it, God, I pray that today your spirit would move them further. I pray you would unify spouses. For those who have thought they were closed, their family was done, I pray today you would just say, would you just be willing to pray about it? Would you just be willing to pray, not my will, but your will be done? Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus who has made us righteous that we can now receive your spirit. So this moment, God, is all about your son. It is all about his glory. And so, Lord, here am I. God, here is this church. Here is this people. God, use and do as you will and see fit. Father, may our lives today just come laid down as a blank check saying, God, whatever you will, not my will, but your will be done. Would your spirit, God, do the work today that I only hope and dream of? And for those little kiddos, God, they are not forgotten. You will raise up people who will answer that call. Even here, even now. And I give you praise and I give you glory for already those who have done that and set a great example for the rest of us to begin following. But now may you move the hearts of other moms and dads, mommies, daddies, that the Spirit of God would move them in that direction too. For your glory, Lord, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.